Do you love your mom? Yes. Like how much do you love your mom? <laughs> Moms are special because they don't give up on their kids no matter what. And they just have this deep love that can nurture life into all that God wants for us. God has given moms a unique gift, the ability to nurture and raise a child. My favorite thing about being a mom and a grandmother is being in a position to see the beauty in another life and call it out and encourage its growth and its development. The most fun thing about being a mom is when you see your child do something that is funny or goofy or quirky and you know it came from you. <laughs> I love my mom because she works hard at work. We watch shows together or go shopping without my brother. <laughs> For somebody who doesn't know my mom or hasn't met her, who might be meeting her, I would warn them that she's gonna wanna serve them food and it's okay to say no. <laughs> I think if you met my mom, you would know that she would probably approach you with a big hug. She was very tender and loving and kind. And I think that's one of the most important things is that she was a loving person and was, I would say, other-centered. I saw my mom and still see my mom live out the values and purposes of Jesus in her life by welcoming people, um, no matter who they are, where they came from, or what they believe that might be different than her. Um, she welcomes them. There's a plaque that I'll never forget that hung in our home, and it's, it said, prayer changes things. And I really believe that each day as I walked by that little plaque and as I reflect on it now, um, prayer is probably the foundational piece that has given me and helped shape my life as a, a mom and, and as a grandmother. If I could say a word of thanks to my mom, I would say, Mom, thank you for being faithful to Jesus. Thank you for holding on to him. Thank you for never letting go and for teaching me that God is faithful. Thank you, Mom, for navigating life in a way that was authentic and in a way that tackled life's challenges by turning to God and his faithfulness. Thanks, Mom. Thank you, Mom. I love you, Mom. Would you join me in thanking Monica, Andrea, and Linnea for sharing their story? Three generations. How great is that? And what a beautiful story. Just happy Mother's Day to all of you. For those worshiping online at Bush Lake and Woodside at any of our other gathering places, I'm glad we could be together today. Andrea, when she was just in middle school, she carved for me this little plaque. It's Westwood uh, in her wood class. And she gave me a note of appreciation for being her pastor. She was 13. 13 year old thoughtfulness is noteworthy. <laughs> They got a lot going on, and it really spoke to me. And I keep this now at my entrance to my office. If you were to come into it, you would see there's a reminder for me to be 
thankful and thoughtful of those who've come in to my space. And I say thank you, Andrea, for a beautiful gift that all these years later I still treasure and grateful that we can have that common bond together. All three of these women identified their mother's faith as the primary mark of influence in their own personal journeys. Faith is just one of the seven arenas of life that we are connecting to this series called Thrive, Bringing Life to Life with the hope that we can integrate the whole of our lives. And that's been the encouragement in the series. Today, I'll continue with the series called Faith. And today, I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about what faith is, what faith is not. And I also want to speak about um, an amazing woman of faith, Mary Magdalene. Some of you are familiar with her in the scripture account, dynamic woman of faith, who leaves for us, I think, an example of faith in many fronts. I'm going to identify three of those. But I want to start with the question, what is faith? Generally, our English understanding of the word faith is something that we think happens up here in the head. We think it's a mind deal. So we say things like, do you believe that? Um, do you think that to be true? You know, we believe in our mind. But Hebrews 11 teaches us that faith is not something that simply happens in the mind, but it is not something as well that you just are hopeful that you can be sure of when you're not so sure of it, but rather we find in the scriptures that it's an entirely different reality. It's primarily evidenced in um, the, the choices that we make, our behavior and our actions, that we find that faith actually comes alive for us. The most explicit definition of faith in the scripture has to be Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is not simply something in your mind or something you convince yourself to be true of, it begins with reason, but the evidence of it is found in your actions and your choices. So when I act in faith, I get a taste of the substance of what it is I believe to be true, and I get the evidence that it's real. It's experienced in the acting out of it. Let, let me use the example of the word love. If I say to Carrie, Carrie, I love you so much, but I don't demonstrate that love in any kind of way, do you think she believes me when I say I love you? That's an interactive question. <laughs> Help me out just a little. No, she went. And by the way, that love would not be alive in me either. It's when I choose to love and show that love that love comes alive in me and comes alive between us. Love is demonstrated to the end. And so it is with faith. There's a circular flow to it. I'll put this image up just to try to help you connect the dots a little bit. We're told in scriptures that we're saved by grace through faith. So grace is given by God's goodness. We open our hands to receive faith. Faith that indeed this comes from God. It's true. If it stops there and it's only in our head, then we miss out on the substance of what faith is, the evidence of its reality. But it's, as faith is activated, when I live it out, when I act it out, my faith comes alive and I experience the substance of that which I believe to be true and I get the evidence that it indeed is true. So I guess the question is, do you have faith? And how do you know if it is true? True faith. Well, faith is this readiness to act as if what you believe is true. That's the core nature of it. So that's where you find its life. That's how you know. You don't have to be wondering, do I really have faith that secures the presence of the Lord in a home beyond this life? Do you want to hear some good news? 
Last Wednesday night at our student ministry program, we had six high school students put their faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that great? When I got that news, I'm so excited about it, and I offer a prayer for them because I know it's the beginning of their journey, and this is also what I know, that their faith will come alive only as they activate it, as they live it out. And they will find the evidence that it's true to carry them beyond college years or work years or whatever, because you know that for many young people, faith drifts. But when it's activated, it comes alive. And they'll experience the substance and they'll know the reality. Otherwise, if they don't, faith diminishes, become a little bit aimless. You question all the more. And what happened that Wednesday night will just become a cool event for that evening. But that's beginning of their journey. It's not the end of it. It's the start of it where faith comes alive. And so that's what faith is, this beautiful picture. But let me just briefly speak about what faith is not. I'm not doing an apologetic here, especially on Mother's Day. wouldn't choose to do that. I want to just clarify something about what faith is not because it's been hijacked around a saying that you hear often. Faith is not blind. It's not a blind faith. It's not blind uh, faith that leads you through some kind of darkness. You jump into it where you choose to believe on the basis of your personal preferences or history or wishful thinking along the way. That is not biblical faith, and that is foolishness. In other words, if there's no good reason to believe something to be true, don't believe it. Don't believe, don't put your life into something that isn't true. No, our faith is not blind. It has substance, and when you activate it, it will give you the evidence that Jesus is the Son of God and that you can know him personally and you will see his provision and you will come alive in your faith. So my message today is really the definition of faith, that faith is a readiness to act as if you believe it is true. So do you. Mary Magdalene had this dynamic faith. She acted out what she believed to be true up here. The Gospel of Luke tells us more stories about women than any of the other Gospels. In fact, you'll find 23 more stories about women not even included in the other Gospels in the Gospel of Luke. And in chapter 8, we meet this amazing group of women of significant high status who have a readiness to act kind of faith. It's in Luke 8, beginning at verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out of, whoa, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. They will have profound impact. These women are known because of their high status. They have a reputation. They're known because they got a lot of means. They are known because they had been touched by Jesus' healing hand. They had been healed of sickness, physical and spiritual. And they're known because of their faith that has an impact. Their reputation related to their faith in Jesus Christ goes and influences not just the disciples, but those in the sphere of their influence as they minister from place to place as they go. We find that most prominent among them is Mary Magdalene. In fact, Mary is mentioned 12 times in the Gospels, more than many of the apostles themselves. This is a woman of great, great influence. 
And she's from a fishing village called Magdala. I've got a little map here just to give some perspective of the kind of impact that she would have from the fishing town of Magdala to the north all the way down into Jerusalem as she finds this faith in Jesus and travels with him, has this impact um, as they move south. And the reason I wanted to put this up here because we know her as Mary Magdalene, but that's not her last name. They didn't use last names this way. She's Mary of Magdala. And Magdala was a community that had a reputation for prostitution. And in the 5th century, there was a spiritual leader who preached a message saying that Mary was a prostitute. And I wanted to clarify this historical grievance because there is nothing in the scripture that says Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. So if you've heard sermons, if you've been part of the church in any journey of your life, you've heard about Mary Magdalene, the prostitute. She was not a prostitute. This was a woman who had high social status. She was a woman of significant influence. And when her name appears with other women, her name is always at the top of the list because of the honor that was due her name. And Mary has this faith that acts with what she knows to be true. And it's an alive kind of faith. And Jesus is honored in that faith. And people are helped in tremendous ways because of her ministry position. She has great, great impact in her journey. And she teaches us a few things about, I wish I could share all of them. I'm gonna take three of them that really stand off the page in terms of how faith acts. When it's alive in you, this is what it looks like. First of all, faith breathes gratitude. I think Mary, if she was here on this Mother's Day, she would say, show gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done, how he's healed you in your life. You know this, that when you come to faith, you experience a healing for something, in some way, in great ways. And this happened to Mary, and it happens to all of us who put faith, because faith does that. It, it, it brings a gratitude. The gratitude becomes the evidence that what has happened to me is real, that it has substance. So we know that Mary had this brutal um, experience with uh, demons that possess her and oppress her, which, by the way, I don't think the number seven, that it speaks of seven demons, is specifically related to seven different uh, demons. Rather, the number seven in biblical writing um, always equates to completeness. In other words, she was completely healed. And because of that, her gratitude was so deep that she makes Jesus the very center of the whole of her life. So in this series called Thrive, we talk about how these things all interface and faith becomes the fuel to every expression of her life holistically. And I want to say also, it was not a gratitude of um, obligation. It's dangerous territory. You know, sometimes we say um, thanks or we, we put ourselves in a place. Have you had somebody do something really kind and something in you says, I feel like I got to pay them back. This is not assuming that Mary would want to pay back Jesus because she knows she could never pay God back for what had happened in her life. And we know, in fact, that if we were to try to pay God back, that anything we would have to offer him is his anyway. So we can take away the very good that God intends when we feel like we have to pay him back. You cannot pay God back. There's no way you have the resources to be able to do that. Hers was a gratitude of thankfulness, just overwhelming, overflowing thankfulness. It was not a gratitude of obligation. So we're healed. Perhaps you're not healed from demon possession, but you're healed from sin that separates you from God. So now that you can know him, 
You're healed in how you feel, how you think, in the words that come out of your mouth and the actions of your hand. Jesus brings a healing so you become a different person. And I give testimony to that in my own journey before I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I did not have the best tongue. I had a filthy tongue at times. I know you think of me now and you think, Joel, you never had a filthy tongue. I did. I came to faith and it changed almost overnight for me. I go, why? Because Christ was at work saying those words are not edifying to the name of the one who has saved your soul. And he brought about a change so I knew the substance of what I had believed in to be true. I had the evidence that Jesus is alive and real was changing and healing me in my life. And you've all experienced healing in different kinds of ways. So faith breathes gratitude. And our soul, hold on to this, thrives on gratitude. Our soul thrives on gratitude. It needs it. It's oxygen to the soul. I'll just give you a little experiment here. Um, it's going to be a two-day experiment, by the way. You're going to need to carve out a couple days if you want to do this experiment. If you do it, you're going to find out a lot about what faith is truly about. A simple faith lessons will come to you. I'm going to encourage you first on one day to take a day. I'm not going to recommend this be Mother's Day. This is not the right day to do this particular experience. But Take a day this week, maybe tomorrow, and start your day out by complaining and complain the rest of the way through. The whole day. Just complain. Go for it. Have a, have a fun day. Go for it. See what you experience as you go through it. Go ahead and complain about your health, about your job, about your money problems, the fact that you don't have a spouse or the fact that you have the spouse that you have. Whatever it is you want to complain about, you just go for it and just make all your complaints known. Complain about maybe somebody who said something to you that offended you. Go ahead and just rant about it if you need to. Complain about what you get from the news because after all, it just seems to me that the news is a primary source for our complaining today. In fact, I'm so grateful that we're, I have not watched cable news in a year. I'm done because it's opinion news. It's opinion news that divides us and creates rift and it's just a fuel for more complaining. There's other sources for news that are more level setting. Just a word of encouragement. I'm not telling you not to, it's what I did. That was just cleansing for me to say that. It was not part of my script, it just felt so good. I'm living in a place of freedom. I just think about this complaining. How will it affect the people in your sphere of influence if you just complain all day? I think it will do one of two things. First of all, you will find that they will want to be away from you and get rid of you as quickly as they can. Or they'll join in. Because complaining can be as contagious um, and more contagious than gratitude. Ingratitude just spreads. And we just join in the ingratitude bandwagon with ease. But then take the other day and start it off with gratitude. I think this is a good thing to do on Mother's Day. I hope you started your day like this. Greet each other and greet each other in the course of your, be annoyingly thankful in the course of your day. Start every conversation with a spirit of gratitude. And what do you think will happen as you give thanks for something of your job or a, 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 your mom or a family member or a friend or just, Fill your day with gratitude and thankfulness for something. What will happen? I think one of two things. People want to hang with you a little longer or they'll join in because gratitude is contagious. After you try this little experiment, ask yourself which day produced the most positive feelings for you. Which day left you feeling more vibrant, more alive? Which day made you feel closer to God? See, we all know the answer because... Your soul thrives on gratitude. 
Friends, we really need gratitude. Our soul needs it. And when we find ourselves expressing gratitude, our faith deepens. And it becomes awakened and alive in new ways. I like one author's reflection on the word gratitude. It actually comes from an old Latin word meaning good. Bene, meaning good. Gratitude always involves three benes, three good things that I think we see in Mary's story. I'm going to share each of them briefly with you. First, there is the benefit. That in order to be grateful, you recognize a gift that you've received as being good. Good for you, beneficial for you, favorable in some kind of way. Mary was healed of the force of seven demons of some sort. And when that healing happened for her, was it beneficial? Yeah. Was it um, uh, refreshing and life-giving for her to be set free from that? Did it bring good into her life? Absolutely it did. She's over the moon. She's on top of the world. She finds herself just attitudinally high as the sky because she has been set free from a bondage that no longer sets her free. And she's not going to forget the benefit of what came to her in that moment. In fact, she agrees. She aligns with the words of the psalmist who says, praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things. Can it get better than this? I mean, you can create your own specific list of details of benefits that have come from you, from the, from the living God. See, faith responds with gratitude, for you see the benefit of the good thing that God has brought into your life. And the important thing to remember is that God is behind this whole deal. That's the second benny, and that is gratitude requires that there's a benny factor. There's that little word again, benny, the Latin word for good, but this time it's coupled with factor. Factor is related to the word factory. And so you find that the benefactor is the person who loves to do good. It's the factory. Your life becomes a factory of producing good in the lives of others and for the lives of others. So to be grateful, you recognize that the benefits are good, but also you understand that they're not simply accidents that happened. That is, they're coming from someone who has good intentions for your life, all of your life. And that someone gets identified as God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. So in other words, those good things are not of your merit or because you're deserving of them. Matter of fact, every good gift that you have, even if it comes from people who don't have any faith in God, goodness, the good gift of God comes from God himself. James tells us this, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly light. Friends, we are surrounded by so much good. We just gotta open our eyes to see it. And I realize right away, you have a parenthetical check, but Joel, life is hard. And I agree. Life is hard, but God is good. And God's goodness is always greater than life's hardship. There's always good in our lives to celebrate and to give thanks for. So we find that faith breathes gratitude for this goodness that comes from God. So in addition to the benefit that we received and the benefactor who gives it, there's a third benny that accompanies uh, gratitude, and that is the beneficiary, the one who receives the good that God gives to us. It is the one who is like Mary, who postured her life to receive and you and me. In other words, 
Knowing that there's a benefactor who's always seeking to do good in your life could leave you with a posture like this if you want. If it's up here in your mind, prove to me that you are a good guy. Just prove it to me. And this is your posture. Just, hey, best wishes to you. But if your posture is this, Lord, oh, bless me, bless me, bless me. Not for the purpose of self-edification, but for the generosity to give praise to him and to bring blessing to others, you will find yourself to be a beneficiary of God's goodness in life-transforming ways. You are the beneficiary of the good gifts coming from our benefactor, God, who has your best interest in mind, and this is going on all the time. You just take that in all the time. And just so much noise, so much hardship. No, there's also an undercurrent of goodness flowing in and through our lives all the time. So we won't want to take for granted the good gifts that God gives to us and all the benefits that come with it. We don't want to be in a place where all of a sudden we start to feel like we deserve it because once you enter into that place, you will not have a grateful heart. They don't go together. If you find yourself or if you know people who feel entitled, they didn't get this and they didn't get that, but they feel entitled to it. I deserve that. You will find that they will not be a grateful person. Because gratitude does not get expressed with entitlement. Put entitlement and bury that deal. And find gratitude in goodness that God gives to us, even in the midst of confusing things or unmet expectations that may come to you in life and in journey. Because without a grateful heart, your faith, it dims. You will lose the evidence that God is indeed watching over you and providing good for you. And your soul needs gratitude to thrive. It really does. So just a dose of honesty here, because I think I need to say it right now, because um, you don't always feel grateful. I don't always feel grateful. But I can still choose to be aware of the benefits and the good that God has brought into my life, in the whole of my life. I'm not feeling it in the moment. It's there all around me. I can secondly acknowledge that God has an intention in my to do good in my life. I don't question it. His intention is for good even in the heart. And I can be thankful as a beneficiary that I have received and tasted of the substance that gives me the evidence that my faith is not wishful thinking. It's alive. It's real in him today and always. So let your faith breathe gratitude. See God's good intentions and receive it with thankfulness. The other two expressions from Mary, I'm going to say briefly. First of all, faith births generosity. I think if Mary was here on this Mother's Day, she would say, use your resources that you've been given to continue the good work of Jesus Christ in the world, to move the mission of love down the road even further, to use the resources you've been given, the means, and that's just not financial, that's the whole of your life, the time and the talents that come with it. If you recall, Jesus and his disciples, um, the disciples follow Jesus and they give up their fishing nets. They were primarily fishermen by career and they lost their income in so doing. What's fascinating to me about this is that Jesus didn't make miraculous meals out of loaves and fishes every time they became hungry. We only have two accounts that, they, that this happens. So they're hungry a lot. They have needs as they travel and do ministry. And we find that Mary and these women provided the essentials for living for these disciples and others and the impact that they had in their surrounding region with this beautiful picture of seeing his mission of love go down the road. They gave of their means, it says, their capacities, their abilities, their finances, because faith births generosity. 
And you may have a check and say, you know what, if I was to use that time to volunteer and to serve in ministry, well, I could have used that time in another place, which I would prefer to do, maybe in recreation or somewhere else. Or you might think, well, if I was to give that money to move the mission of love further down the field, you would have a check and sometimes think, well, I could use that money for more retirement or this thing or that thing instead. Can I just say, God always, always redeems the time that you give to his purposes. He always leverages your generosity into more generosity. So you experience a magnification of the presence of the Lord in his provision, even in your life. Faith births generosity. It is the substance of what we hope for. It is the evidence of what we cannot see. And that's why Faith's Mary, or Mary's faith is just alive. And she's traveled all the way from Magdala to hang with Jesus, to give up her own journey to serve him in this way. And then finally, faith begets grit. I just love this word, grit. A lot of books are being written about grit right now. And for my generation, I always think of grit as uh, John Wayne. Anybody else? Yeah, just True grit, John Wayne, that's it. But I just want to say Mary has grit. I love this about her. Grit is that positive quality in a person that causes them to do what they need to do and what they must do with sustained interest and sustained effort toward the accomplishment of a given end or goal in their life and journey. Over time, I believe grit is what separates faithful lives from aimlessness. That people who believe in their mind, they have it here, and it gives birth to the reality of a faith lived out and acted out will bring about um, a vital dynamic nature of faithfulness, wherein if I only have it here, I will find myself in a place, sometimes aimless, questioning whether or not, Jesus, are you really who you say that you are? Grit is really critical. I think Mary would say to us on this Mother's Day, stay with Jesus in the now of your life and all the way to the end of your life. That's what she did. Mary had grit and faith has grit. She didn't believe and then say, you know what? I got, I got healed. I got the ticket to freedom. Thank you for that, Jesus. I'm on my way in a new direction. No, she stays with him. She stays with the disciples. She devotes her life. She gives her resources, her means, her time, her possessions, her financial resources, her skills and abilities in service to him all of her days. And what I love about Mary is she stays with him even to the end. We find Mary in the New Testament that she's the one who didn't leave him when it became inconvenient and hard as others chose to do. Some of his closest disciples chose to do that. We find that Mary is right there with him in the midst of it all. She's there at the crucifixion. She hears his last words on the cross. Can you imagine what that would have been like? How utterly painful it would be to listen to this suffering man whom she loved so much. She was there when Joseph asked for the body from Pilate of Jesus. She was there at the empty tomb. She was there to hear the, the beautiful words of the angel uh, saying to Mary, Jesus, the one you're looking for, is not here. He is risen, just as he said he would. Go and tell the disciples. What a beautiful picture of this, because we find that Jesus gives to Mary and these women the opportunity to be the first witnesses of the resurrection that the very first evangelists are women. And I will tell you, it's not because they are women. It's because they were present. Half the battle of life is showing up and being available for Jesus Christ to work in and through you. They were there. And so they got to hear the command and the commission, go and tell the disciples this good news. He's not dead. He's alive. And she went on a beautiful mission and she had this 
I'm going to use this phrase, grid of grace. She understood that Jesus was with her and faithful to her all of her days to the end that now she wanted to be with him and faithful to him all of her days. Don't give up. Have faith in Jesus. Stay with him and you will experience the substance of faith and you will be given the evidence of its reality in your life. Your life will not be aimless. It'll be purposeful with Jesus breathing life into you. Well, I want to give an invitation here today because Mary lived these words from Colossians 2 so well. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Mary fulfills that very call in her life. Now, if you want to thrive, if you you really want to thrive, put your faith in Jesus, not through intellectual consent. Oh, yeah, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Activate it. Live it out. Live out what you believe to be true, and your faith will come alive. And you will experience the presence of the Lord and the provision for your every need, whatever that need might be. What a beautiful gift and a promise that we have from the Lord. Well, it's Mother's Day, so it seems fitting that I at least say one thing about my mom before we go. And moms, I love the video that says moms are just with you. They stay with you through it all. And I got to be with my mom this week. I'll share that in a moment. But my mom was one of those women who, um, or persons who had faith here. She believed Jesus was the Son of God most of her life, but she didn't act it out and live it out in the way that God would want her to until about 10, 11 years ago, and she did. Had the privilege to see her come to faith in Christ, baptize her in our own Westwood community of faith here, which is still one of the highlights of my life. To be able to baptize your mom, cool day in your life journey. Really grateful for it. But for these last decade, I've been able to see her live out her faith and grow to live it out. And this week particularly, I just returned from Sioux Falls where she lives. She had heart surgery this week. Significant heart surgery, touch and go um, for a little in there. But I got to be with her through that whole experience. And I see her living out her faith, which makes Jesus come alive in a really powerful way. Faith breathes gratitude. And everywhere we went, she was expressing gratitude to the people who welcomed her into the hospital, to the nurses and to the doctors. And even when we were trying to get ready to go, we were all ready to leave and check out on Friday late afternoon about 4.30. And she's ready to go, get dressed. I just have to go pick up the car. And all of a sudden, another patient comes onto the floor in critical condition. And all the nurses, every provider, there's nobody around. They're all in that room. And I'm going like, what's going on? We're ready to go home. I walk down the hall, and they're trying to save this man's life. And we can hear everything that's happening. I go back to the room. She wants to go home now. It would take two hours before we go home. But we took each other's hand, and we prayed for that man's life, that he would live. And we gave thanks that we're going to go home. Faith does that. It gives us this gratitude, and faith births generosity. I brought a picture of my mom before we went into the hospital. This is uh, my mom with her Kentucky Derby hat on. She participated in a Kentucky Derby event with family and friends, and my sister made that hat. She says, I'm going to wear this to the doctor before I go in. She, my mom's quirky fun. She really is. And she got in the doc. She's had the same doc for 17 years, totally laughed, couldn't believe she was wearing this hat. They just had the greatest time together. And then the doc said to her, could I have your hat? 
And he said, I would love to have that hat in the room because it will bring lift to a lot of people who are fighting for their life right now. My mom gave, her the, gave him the hat. And there's something about faith. It births generosity, but generosity births more generosity. It keeps on giving. And faith is this beautiful reality. It begets grit. And I saw her demonstrate faith grit. My mom has struggled most of her life with anxiety that at times just paralyzes her. And many of you know that. Many of you have friends who have struggled with that. Anxiety that just consumes you is just horrible. And here we're going in, in a significant surgery, there's anxiety. And to watch her take that anxiety and put it at the foot of the cross more than one time, many times. She just kept bringing it to the foot of the cross because she knew she couldn't manage it alone. Her faith said, I need you. And she said out loud many times with nurses and doctors, especially in pain places, I'm holding her hand, oh, Jesus, help me. And she meant it sincerely because faith gives us a hope beyond the pain of a given moment. Faith is a readiness to act as if what you believe is true. And as you do, faith comes alive. And you will know Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of your soul, is with you and for you all of your days. So I'd like to offer that prayer, that you would know that truth. Before we go on this day, could I invite you to stand wherever you might be, and even if you're at home worshiping with us and receive this. Father God, thank you for the gift of grace that allows us to respond in faith, activated because we believe it in our mind to be true, and in so living it out, we experience the substance of who is in us, Jesus, your son, and the reality that he is with us and for us today and always. Lord, for any that are here who have mentally, in their mind, believed that Jesus is son of God, but not activating it, this day, may they take that step and by your power begin to live out what they know to be true and experience the dynamic presence of Jesus Christ today and always, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.